This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. To learn more, visit patreon.com forward slash ink to film. And speaking of Patreon, we mentioned at the top of last episode that there would be a Patreon announcement coming in your feed in the next few days, and we're actually going to record that very soon uh, to give you more details about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, and, and and we're excited to do it. We just uh, kind of ran out of time this week, and we thought uh, more important to get this episode out on time as much as possible. So we're, we're trying to get this one in. But yeah, look for that. We're going to explain more about our new... Uh, new setup for Patreon. Um, the main thing is we've lowered our entry level amount from three dollars to two level two dollars, which will get you into the to the council and get you get you on your way to voting on polls and get you all the bonus content. Um, and then we want to go more into detail about the higher dollar amount we've we've introduced because it's a little complicated. Um, but I, we're really excited about it. But uh, yeah, we'll go into more details. We are going to do that announcement. You'll see it hopefully this coming week at some point. <laughs> but yeah, look forward to that. Welcome to the Inked Film Podcast, where we read the book. And then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Stephen King's 1977 horror novel, The Shining. full circle back to Stephen King where we started this whole thing off I mean and I'm ex- I'm excited to be here this this is a holy grail story right this is kind of a big one <laughs> it's oh yeah it's it's massive I mean not only the uh the adaptation which is also a legendary picture at this point um the book itself and, and I would argue is 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 a landmark horror novel that really changed a lot of things about uh about the genre moving forward I have read the book once, seen the movie probably, I don't know, five, five, five plus times would be my bet. How about you? What's your experience with it? Never read the book. Um, always been interested in it. Just never got around to it. And I've, I've, I've seen the movie a lot. I don't, I don't really want to speculate. I don't know. Ten maybe. But a lot of times. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So you're going to be very uh, attached to the way things are in the movie probably. You know what I mean? In your head as you're going through this. So I'm going to be interested to know. What's surprising? What what do you find particularly interesting about this version that that you've never gotten before? Because there are, there are some major differences which we'll be discussing as we encounter them. Yeah, I was gonna say we've already gotten plenty, so I'm excited to get into <laughs> it. Yeah, so if this is your first time with the podcast, what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about this book, and we're gonna do our uh, deep dive version into this thing. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna rush it. So our plan is to do three episodes for this novel. Uh, this first episode is going to be the introduction of the characters, the setup of the, of the uh, Overlook Hotel, you know, the the situation. And, and we're going to talk about all that, right? And then the next week we'll do the meat of it, like the middle uh, where a lot of action happens. And then we'll wrap it up with a third episode to the finale. And then, uh, and then, oh, and then I'm going to take, we're going to take a week off because I'm going to Bible Paradise. Uh, <laughs> but then the following week we'll come back and we will be uh, releasing our movie episode, which we're also very excited about because it's just such a big movie. I mean, it's like we could have five or six episodes if you, to do the movie. I know. <laughs> will we be able to fit it in one? It's a, it's a valid question. The other thing we realized, and since our first project, which was It by Stephen King, 
we have since kind of come around to a tradition where we talk about the author before we get into the novel itself. And if memory serves, I don't think we really did that. Now, I think we talked about him some kind of throughout, but I don't know that we really set up Stephen King as an author. So I wanted to start with a, taking a moment to do that. So here we go. Stephen Edwin King. Did you know his middle name was Edwin? Did not. Okay, there you go. Already learning. He was born on September 21st of 1947. Uh, he is an author of horror, supernatural fiction, suspense, science, fi- science fiction, and fantasy. His books have sold more than 350 million copies, many of which have been adapted into feature films, miniseries, television series, and comic books, which we joke about all the time. This could be a Stephen King podcast very easily and still be about adaptations because there are so many of them made. So this is going to be, he's going to be a frequent author for us. I, I can already call that. Yeah, I think I think he's on his way, man. I think he might be big someday. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he, he, there's something to it. He should stick with it, I think. Uh, so King has published 58 novels, including seven under the pen name Richard Bachman and six nonfiction books. He has written around 200 short stories, most of which have been published in book collections. He received Bram Stoker Awards, World Fantasy Awards, British Fantasy Society Awards, in 2003, he was he uh, the National Book Foundation awarded him the Medal for Distinguished Contribution to American Letters. He has also received awards for contribution to literature for his entire oeuvre, uh, such as the World Fantasy Award for Life Achievement, the Grand Master Award for the Mystery Writers of America, and in 2015, King was awarded with a National Medal of Arts from the United States National Endowment for the Arts for his contributions to literature. So, honestly, like... You, I don't think any other author is going to beat that that I can come up with the top of my head. Like that is an impressive list of awards. His publication history is just like unparalleled. Like it's insane. So uh, yeah, that's Stephen King. If you if you weren't aware, <laughs> which I, maybe there are some people who aren't. No, somebody's like, yeah, never heard of him. Yeah, there. Are, I mean, I, I think I've I've met people that way. So it's it's surprising, but it is true. And especially younger generation people might not. People might not be as aware, although he's starting to come back around now, I think, in popular culture with Stranger Things references and and all these remakes and stuff and uh, references in other films. This this actually brings me to a thought really quickly. I was you you mentioned the date uh, to me that this that this book came out and 1977. It ma- it really made me think because, you know, we're fairly young guys and yeah, to think that we, we've it's always been there. It's always been this beacon of horror just I can't even put myself in the shoes of somebody who re- reads this like first you know hard hardcover copy as soon as it comes out and and right. it, I just can't even fathom what what the life before the shining was so yeah uh so king this is king's third novel he had written carrie which was his debut and then salem's lot uh and then this was this was number 3 um when he did this a publisher his publisher tried to talk him out of doing it um, because he he was worried that they were going to uh, pigeonhole him as a horror writer. And nice. He thought that would be limiting, and uh, King said that uh, he took that as a compliment. Nice. And he wanted to do it anyway. Um, he has gone on to write other non horror novels, but I think he's he's Im- fully embraced the horror horror writer uh, label. I think instead of more about his early life, which like I've read on writing, which which goes over a lot of his his you know autobiography kind of thing. Um, I think what I'd want to do for this project is focus in on the story behind the story, how did like how this novel came to be 
and uh, how you came up with some of these ideas and the genesis of it. Because, you know, we've talked about I, I'm very interested in so- story seeds because as a writer, I love to know that kind of stuff because then I can think like, oh, I should put myself in situations like X and Y because then maybe I'll come up with something cool. Right. right. Um, do you know any any of the story behind this? I I mean, I honestly don't think that I do. I, I feel like I've gotten some of it before, but I don't I don't know any off the top of my head. Okay. Um, now, I, I had heard a little of this, and I think I read some of it in on writing, but it's been a while. So um, this is from uh, Wikipedia, and it kind of refreshed me and says it concisely. So I'm going to read some of this. Uh, on t- October 30th, 1974, King and his wife Tabitha s- checked in at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. They were the only two guests in the hotel that night. Oh, so I should also give a little bit of backstory. He had His previous two novels had been written in, uh, set in Maine. And for his third novel, he deliberately said, I don't want to write another novel set in Maine. So he decided to travel and go live somewhere for a year. And he supposedly just blindly pointed out a map of the U.S. to determine where he was going to go live and set, and says that it ended up being Boulder, Colorado. So he was living in Boulder, Colorado at the time. And then they went and stayed at this hotel, which I guess is pretty near Boulder. So when we arrived, they were just getting ready to close for the season. And we found ourselves the only guest in the place. And they had these long, empty corridors. Now, I've seen pictures of the Stanley Hotel, and it's massive. This is a big, massive hotel, and they were the only guests. Uh, And he said when they checked in, they checked into room 217, which was said to be haunted. Um, And then he said this is where the 217 comes from for the book. Okay, so I feel like I know this isn't the the movie episode, but that's already a difference. So Right. What's the, what's the number? Is it three, is three something? Two, 237. 237. I knew there was a three in there. That's what it was. Okay. I wonder why they changed it. I mean, we figured I that think out. there's a story behind it, but I, I, okay, not cool. that I know it. Off I'm the sure there head, is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man, I'm just giddy about getting into this. I, like, I'm so excited for this project. Uh, so King and his wife had dinner at the evening, that evening in the grand dining room totally alone. They were offered one choice for dinner because there was only one meal still available. Taped orchestral music played in the room, um, and theirs was the only t- table set for dining. Except for our table, all the chairs were, were up on tables. This is quote. Uh, so the music is echoing down the hall, and I mean, it was like God had put me there to hear that and see those things. And by the time I went to bed that night, I had the whole book in my mind. So after dinner, his wife decided to turn in, but King took a walk around the empty hotel. He ended up in the bar and was served drinks by a bartender named Grady. That night, I dreamt of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide, screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk, sweating all over, within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, lit a cigarette, and sat in a chair looking out the window at the Rockies. And By the time the cigarette was done, I had the bones of the book firmly set in my mind. This is another little passage here that was on the Wikipedia page, and I find it I find it pretty interesting, and I think it brings up some really fascinating stuff about writing and about art. And so here's another quote from King. Sometimes you confess. You always hide what you're confessing to. That's one of the reasons why you make up the story. When I wrote The Shining, for instance, the protagonist of The Shining is a man who has broken his son's arm, who has a history of child beating, who has beaten himself. And as a young father with two children, I was horrified by my occasional feelings of real antagonism toward my children. Won't you ever stop? Won't you ever go to bed? And time has given me the idea that probably there are a lot of young fathers and young mothers who feel very angry, who have angry feelings towards their, ch- toward their children. 
But as somebody who has been raised with the idea that father knows best and Ward Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver and all that stuff, I would think to myself, oh, if he doesn't shut up, if he doesn't shut up. So when I wrote this book, I wrote down a lot down and tried to get it out of my system. But it was also a confession. Yes, there are times when I felt very angry towards my children and have felt as though I could hurt them. Well, my kids are older now. Naomi is 15, Joey is 13, and Owen is 8. And they're all super kids, and I don't think I've laid a hand on one of my kids in probably seven years. But there was a time. This is, this is semi, and that's just the, the, the uh, abuse angle. I think there's a lot of confessional stuff going on with this novel for King. Um, because I also know that he struggled with alcohol and drug addiction for many years following this and leading up to this. And I think addiction is very clearly a, a very uh, important part of this book. And I mean, Jack Torrance is a writer who's struggling with uh, substance abuse. We talked about it in our It coverage way back when. You can tell that he, if he's writing a writer, he, you, there's going to be some autobiographical stuff that, that like, you know, seeps in. And uh, yeah. I was definitely, I, I was definitely thinking of that a lot. I, I really identify, and I think a lot of people who are creatives identify with this book, um, because there's also something I was picking up on is sort of the anxiety and pressures of uh, this sort of lifestyle, wanting to be an artist, and you know the highs and lows. Like we'll get into it, but he talks about when he first sells this, uh, the story to a major magazine, and how he was just like walking on air and but then also the the substance abuse which is which is a problem in a lot of uh, writers lives so there's a lot here to identify with i think as as a creative type and and so i always feel like there's another angle to this it's not just a like a fun horror romp if you want to call it that um there's also a lot of stuff about about being creative about having personal demons and uh, but then he takes it all and he kind of he mixes it up and puts a, a supernatural twist on it, too, which is really cool. So um, just a, a brilliant concept and, and I think really well done. So I want to say something before before we get into the meat of it. I uh, have been listening to this on audiobook and I um, stayed in a in it was really the worst worst hotel room I've ever stayed in in my life <laughs> uh, for a, for a shoot you're doing. Yeah, for a shoot I'm doing. Unrelated yeah. to the to the TV show, it's a it's just a quick shoot. It was just two days, um, but it was it was the worst hotel room I've ever stayed in. Really, really brutal <laughs> stuff. So, was this like a motel where you drive up to your to your room from the exterior and there's yeah, and and it wasn't it wasn't my decision. And honestly, like, um, was did your room smell like smoke? It, no, no, it didn't smell like smoke. But it was it was one of those things where. Um, as soon as you, as soon as you like go to check in, and you're like, "This is where I have my reservation." You're like, "All right, well, I might just go down the street and check into a different hotel." <laughs> it was one of those. So, uh-huh. and they put you up in this. They put me up in this, shoot. yeah. And honestly, like, it, it was a mistake all along. Like, it was, it was. Um, somebody booked it who doesn't even live in the state and is just part of a production company very far away. Oh man! So they booked it, and and. Uh, hey man, it made for a good story though. I was kind of yeah, I was kind of locked into it, so. I could have gone down the street. I thought about it, and uh, but I didn't uh, to another hotel. But I didn't. I was like, whatever. I'm just gonna roll with the punches. And so mm-hmm. I go into this hotel room, and I'm having an awful time. Just, just really, really bad. And uh, after a long day, too, quite a long day, like a 18 hour shoot. So it was, it was a long. Jesus. One. And I, what, what else do I do but put on, put on the audiobook for The Shining, and just like really <laughs> dig into like the, the specific details of how magnificent this hotel is, and and how creepy this setting is going to be. 
Um, yeah. And I'm, I mean, I can't, I can't read it without thinking of the movie, but it's, it is very distinct. Like we, we get much more detail, obviously it's a, because it's the, the actual novel and, and, uh, the characters we get some different angles on the characters for sure well and i don't know if you i mean famously this is a this is an adaptation that king is not a fan of and uh we i'm sure we'll talk about that more as we go forward but do you know any do you know any of the reasons why he's not i guess the only the only thing that i thought was just that he uh was it wasn't a true adaptation it was it was like more of just like um they took like the general skeleton and kind of adapted it but I, I would yeah. still say that, like, like I wonder if he still holds that, because this the movie. I, I believe he does. I, I think he's come around to where he recognizes, from what I've what I've heard, he recognizes the film as being great in its own right, but he thinks as an adaptation, it's not a good one. I mean, I get that, but the, it's not a. Re- I, yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if if behind closed doors he watches the movie. So I'm just gonna throw, <laughs> I'm just gonna throw it out there. Oh, I mean, I'm sure he's seen it many times. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think his reasons, some of the reasons I've heard him give are interesting. Uh, for one, I think he said that Jack Torrance, from the jump in the movie, he found unlikable. Okay. And he found to be obviously insane. And I think because we just talked about, I think King poured a lot of himself into this character. I think the book version of Jack Torrance is a is a far more... Um, Sympathetic sympathetic and and a character who goes through more of an arc, you know, which we'll see as we continue through this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, whereas I think for him, it was very much like a straight line between the beginning and the insanity. I get you. Um, yeah. Which is, I, I guess, a bit of a spoiler, but um, you've seen the movie, so you you know that much at least. Um, I guess I guess for people who are listening to this, uh, we will talk some light spoilers throughout. Um, we'll try not to give away things until we get there. But it's going to be tough because this is just like a zeitgeist kind of thing where it's like I kind of assume everybody knows about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be aware. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But yeah. Um, and then the other major one, and this one I totally understand, is Wendy. He detests the version of Wendy we get in the film. He 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 thinks that uh, he was she was horribly mishandled and he really hates the way that character was 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 put on screen. And his version of Wendy is very different. And I think as we progress through, we we can we can talk about those differences. Yeah. I feel like we should talk about it more when we get to the movie. But I think um, already I can see kind of where he's coming from with Wendy being more um, how she's seeing Jack, and I think that adds a lot more that uh, that I don't know that we necessarily get in the movie quite as much. Well, I think I think uh, one of the things King's hinting at is that she. In the movie, in, in my memory serves. Now it's been a little while since I've seen the film, so I'll be interested to to revisit. But she's a little bit more of like um, a battered woman who's kind of sticking around out of fear, and she's just totally kind of intimidated by her husband. Whereas this version is is more like um, she, you know, we'll talk about she 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 nearly divorced him, and was just through some interesting happenings that he was able to kind of convince her not to. Or it just never really came up because he gave up drinking at the time. And so it feels like their relationship has a lot more of a power dynamic to it, where they each have a certain amount of power in the relationship. Whereas in the movie, it feels like she's kind of just a battered woman who who's stayed in this in this kind of abusive relationship. Now, I, that, I might be misremembering some stuff about the movie, so we'll have to revisit that when we actually watch it. But yeah, I think, I think that's kind of what King's getting at. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know if you count that Grady reference. Um, 
that apparently was the name of the the uh, the bartender mm-hmm. at the Stanley Hotel, and then he named the fictional or the fictional the um, the family that lived there before the Torrances as caretakers. Um, we learned that Delbert Grady succumbed to cabin fever and murdered his entire family. Um, so I thought it was interesting that that was the character he named after the bartender. <laughs> how do you think? How do you think the bartender feels about that? I, I honestly, I'd be pretty honored to yeah. be. <laughs> I don't care. I don't know though. But let, let, let's start from the beginning. So this book opens with Jack Torrance talking to Ullman. Ullman, thank you. And he's. It's really just like Ullman going on and on about the hotel, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we're, we're learning about the setup here, about like what he's being hired to do. But there's a lot of Jack thinking of this guy as an officious little prick. And it's a really interesting way to open a novel. And I've, I've, uh, I took a course with uh, Jay Wells one time where she, she used this as, as an example for, you know, for like a method for writing. And, and one of the things that's, that King is doing here is even though this whole opening section seems to be about Ullman, what we're actually doing is we're learning about Jack Torrance because we're seeing the, how judgmental he is, how he keeps biting back um, like harsh things he's saying about this guy. We see that he has a lot of anger mm-hmm. in him. Um, and we see that he he can pretend and we see him putting on smiles, um, these fake smiles. Uh, at one point, he, he busts out laughing or he holds back laugh, laughter when he kind of thinks about this uh, commercial, All My Men Wear Old, wear old Leather. Um, and and so I think there's a lot being done for setting up the character of Jack Torrance. And it's interesting because it's all being done through describing this other guy. Uh, so it's, it's just a clever, a clever way to do it, and I think an interesting bit of writing. So there's a lot of hints about past things that have gone on at this hotel, right? Like people who've, people who've died. Uh, we hear about a maid who saw something in a room. We, we, we hear about the previous caretaker who murdered his family, uh, which we, we hear that he took a hatchet to his, to his daughters and then I think shot his wife and shot himself. Uh, so we get a lot of this like backstory or like history for the, for the hotel before we even arrive there. Um, although actually I think he's in the hotel when he's talking to him here, right? Because it's a little bit of a time jump. Yeah, yeah. He he is, and then it yeah, and then it shoots back. But regardless, it's um it's interesting because I think King's brilliantly setting up a lot of just like history and like potential for hauntings and creepiness, and it's a lot. And it also la- plays with the fact that like all of us assume this is a thing when we go to hotels, like the, yeah, especially old hotels. Like a bunch of bad shits probably happened here over the years. Definitely, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, it's such a good idea for a, for a, for a book in general. So how about the fact that Ullman keeps talking about the rustling noises and he's like, he like refuses to acknowledge the fact that there's rats. Like he's like, there's no rats here kind of. And he's like, there might be one <laughs> well, or two. Well, I think it, but it also, I think it also, it seeds that thought of like, is it something supernatural? Right. If there aren't rats, then what's making the noises? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because all the, yeah, we'll get to it. But the papers aren't torn up by rats or anything in the basement area. The down, That's you know. true. So is it ghosts? So I'm going to give just kind of a plot summary, a general plot summary here. And then I think what we should do is jump around and talk about scenes that interest us and that we want to kind of react to. Okay. Sounds cool. Um, just for just for the sake of time. So here we go. The plot centers on Jack Torrance, his wife, Wendy, and their five-year-old son, Danny, who move into the, to the hotel after Jack accepts the position as winter caretaker. Jack is an aspiring writer 
and recovering alcoholic with anger issues, which, prior to the story, had caused him to accidentally break Danny's arm and lose his position as a teacher after assaulting a student. Jack hopes that the hotel's seclusion will help him reconnect with his family and give him the motivation he needed to work on a play. Danny, unknown to his parents, possesses telepathic abilities, referred to as The Shining, that enable him to read minds and experience premonitions. Which, I think I want to table that for now and focus more on Jack and Wendy. So, so the, the, the specter of the alcoholism and the, 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 the possibility of violence in Jack, I think has a really nice parallel in the boiler that we get introduced to in the boiler room when they talk about how you have to let pressure off of it a couple times a day, otherwise it creeps. Mm-hmm. And main, motion, mentioning that the pressure raises. And it's also this old boiler so that no one really knows at what point it would explode, even though it's like rated for a certain amount. But he's like, I wouldn't get, let it get anywhere near that. Um, so I love the idea of this physical thing in the heart of the ho- uh, hotel that is like a potential explosion, like a, a potential bomb. And Jack keeps thinking, he's like fixated on it, right? And he keeps thinking about it. And I think it, 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 to me, it's a metaphor for himself. He is a bomb that is slowly building towards something. And we get implications of that, right? Uh, from, through, through his history and, and uh, you know, with, with whether it's going out drinking with his friend uh, or the, 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 the actual time where he broke his son's arm. Mm-hmm. So this, there's a couple points in here that I want to touch on. So Ullman, Ullman has been through it, right? He's had a bunch of caretakers come in at this point, and a bunch of them have had died. And like, <laughs> seems it, like it, it seems like it seems like he would like. There's the one from Cabin Fever. It just it, it seems like at some like he would have a, a more thorough vetting process. But I guess he's desperate to get somebody in there. But at the same time, like Jack is able to to I guess just trick him. Into- well, Jack has this whole thing too about like, was he an educated man? Well, that was your mistake, and he goes off about about why he's gonna. He's like a thinking man will be fine, you know. Right, but um, it's like I, I and like, where do you land on that? Because I was thinking about it, and I think it's like, um, I think that that sometimes more more well educated people will wish that they were blissfully ignorant. And someone who's blissfully yeah. ignorant, like I, I'm just wondering if there's like a well, and and I think uh, I I think that there are two arguments to be made. I think one of them's the one that that he makes that you as a reader, as someone who uh, has a a, pro, a long project to work on, that maybe you can um, find diversion in a way that someone who doesn't read and and is kind of stuck there and like you know you wouldn't have like, outside television stuff like that. Um. So I th- there's that argument, and that's the one Jack makes and convinces Ullman, I think. Uh, but I-, I agree with you. I think people who are intelligent maybe can also be more susceptible to boredom because they seek more, maybe more stimulating things, more f- at, like a higher frequency, you know, and like, and, and especially, you know, like intellectual stimulation, right? And I think being locked away for a season without much of that could be a problem. So there's kind of two sides to it, right? And 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 it ultimately comes down to what kind of person you are. And we know that even early on with with his history of violence, 
uh, we know this is a terrible idea, right? We could see it f- from the beginning. And that's my thing. It's like he, I don't know. It seems like Ullman kind of hasn't, he's like, hes like, I don't know if it'll work out, but I guess we'll see. You know, like yeah. when he's leaving him and the, and the way that he accepts it and like. Well, and I think Jack, Jack kind of gets ahead of it and says like, oh yeah, I know all about what cabin fever is. And he like really explains it. And so I think that maybe puts Ullman at ease because right. he's very aware of the problem. And what was the, what was the, maybe, maybe he explained it, but what was the reason that the, there was a family that stayed before and yep. that didn't work Agreed. out. So he was like, I really don't want another person with a family to stay. But then he kind of comes right. back around on it and says, like, with a family, you'll have something to. I think, yeah, you'll have something to do. Because I think I think he thought about having a single man there, but then came down on the, the idea that you would be too maddening to be, like, truly alone. I don't remember exactly what he says. And the, and the idea that he's a writer who, who he says, like, I've got this thing I'm going to be doing the whole time. I think he can, he just convinces Ullman that, that that he's going to be fine. Yeah. But I want to talk about uh, I you know King is is amazing at some of these some of these things because like the detail of him being a recovering alcoholic, like any writer could have that detail, but the way he brings it to life with these backstories of him and his friend going and drinking and like. And driving, right? And we hear about the things they do that are like out of control, and like him going to cl- going to class drunk as a teacher, and how he he would always convince himself that he has it under control, and it all is just so true. First off, and then I love the 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 story about them hitting the hitting the bike, and how both of them have this oh shit moment where they think they've killed a kid, right? Yeah. And by all rights, should have he even points out that whole scene was was crazy too, and. We'll get to the shining stuff, but it sets up this this sort of like break from the alcoholism, like this sort of in between period where he's going to be sober, and under the right circumstances, maybe he remains sober, and maybe you know what I mean. Like he, his friend, his friend seems to be doing well in his sobriety. Yeah, as well. his friend is kind of the version that's doing okay. And like you said, maybe if he wasn't, maybe if they didn't sign up to go to the Overlook Hotel, maybe he would have been okay. Yeah. And it's it's also a cool way because they could have just killed the kid, and I think that's right. the obvious thing to do there. But it's it's cool that they didn't and were so, so scared by it that they they're like, yep. okay, well, this is something that we can come back from. Killing a kid, we probably couldn't have come back from, but um, this was enough of a scare to to push them both. And I just think that was that was really cool. Right, like those details would just seem so authentic. And then speaking of that, um, the scene where he comes into the study. And his his three year old son has like, uh, I think spilled a bunch of drink on a bunch of his papers and like scattered them all and gotten them all mixed up and destroyed some stuff. And he, the way it's described of him grabbing the kid and going to spank him, with the you know what I mean and and like, you know I I I'm not someone who personally believes in spanking, but that's a whole another discussion. Um, that was definitely very widely done in the seventies. You don't right? like to be spanked. <laughs> not particularly no i i am i don't uh, <laughs> um so but you know what i mean right like it um it was very common in the 70s right um, yeah. it wasn't as much of a taboo as it is now and, and, and there are people who who believe in spanking their children and i'm not interested in having arguments <laughs> with someone about it yeah I, I, well I the think, thing uh, i think the thing that's important here is that is that it seems like king was for a little bit for a little bit as well yeah, and then it seems like there was yeah. some something that changed his mind potentially because he said he well, had. And this is one of the reasons why 
I don't like the idea of spanking. And this this shows it to me because he does go. He moves to do something socially acceptable in his eyes, but he's out of control in the moment. And because he's, you know, a strong adult and he grabs his his son's arm, he just accidentally breaks it with the force of his grip, basically. And that is like like it's awful, reprehensible, but also terrifying in the way that you can kind of see it happen too though right right and i think that when king was talking about how it was confessional i think it was it's um and maybe that's something he worried that he would have the uh, capability of doing on accident Mm -hmm. and then how i love how jack knows that like this is something he'll never come back from in that moment like this is always going to be a thing that that follows him yeah and he's constantly thinking about it throughout yeah. He's con- like he he and Wendy are constantly thinking about it. And she, Oh yeah. She, it totally change, changes his marriage too. Right. Absolutely. And she, and his she hates him. With his son like, and uh, everything. She I don't know if she still hates him right now, but there's definitely resentment, but for a little while she hates him. Like like can't stand yeah. him wants to get away from him. And I guess we we can get right. into that about why why they aren't divorced currently. Yeah, so he comes back from the accident just a changed person and uh she yeah. had been planning on on um bringing up the divorce to him. Because she had been, it had been building for a long time. Yeah, it had been building, and, and I think she had been worried about where what the drinking was going to lead to, and then that was that was something that um, that definitely set it or set her over the edge. And then, but I think it took her a little while to kind of build up the nerve. And, and a lot of this is around her mother. She has a lot of complicated feelings about her mother and not wanting her mother to be right about Jack. I think, and 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 having to admit that, and then move it in with her, and and we get the implication that her mother's relationship with her is not a very healthy one. Yeah, and so she really isn't very fond of that. She's worried that that she'll have to go that route mm-hmm. if they do get a divorce. Um, and I, I don't know, the messiness of that feels very realistic to me, true to life, and what it will do to Jack. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Danny. Danny, right? Uh, she constantly is thinking about what 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 would that do to Danny, and also staying with us as his parents. Like she feels very guilty that he has them as as, mm-hmm. as parents. So a couple of things that are constantly being brought up are the arm. The exploding boiler and um, divorce is constantly on all their yeah. minds and stuff. And then that, interestingly, I think, leads us into kind of the shining stuff because because Danny is perceiving all of this. He's kind of picking all this right. up. All right. So let's get to that in a second. Uh, but before we do, uh, we've been doing some promos for some other podcasts uh, in previous episodes. So we want to go ahead and do one now. What it is, everyone. I'm Jacob Meza, the host of the podcast, So It Is Told. Each week, I read a new folk tale or fairy tale with a local comedian and or world traveler. Like your drunk grandma reading a bedtime story, their suspense. Oh my god, they are cannibals! Magic. <laughs> and all-around madness. They're birthing hips! Available on any mainstream podcast directory. Fresh. <laughs> so we get, uh touches of this stuff we get references to danny being having these telepathic abilities and we uh, we meet his well we don't meet but we hear about his uh, invisible friend right tony tony that's right and i think tony in both the movie and this but i think especially in the book works really well as being very creepy and very it's interesting because he does yeah. seem to be helpful um but the At concept first. of it being an entity is in and of itself creepy, right? Well, it's like very, it's very, it's very Stephen King to me, yeah. and and I think we see more of it with it. 
yeah kind of some of this like entities at at work well we could talk about that another maybe like later on but there's there's whole uh overarching stephen king extended universe connection yeah, that, theories that connect like the evil in the in the uh, overlook hotel to the evil in it and so forth yeah i'm sure and i feel that but i also wonder how how interesting do you think that is like do you because i don't i don't I, like connected universes are all the rage right now but right and i know that he's been doing it you know apparently uh he's been doing it for forever oh yeah well because i for and what i understand i haven't read the books is uh the dark tower series i think also shows a lot of that a lot of what's going that. on in that series what connects to a lot of his other books i think it's cool i think it's there for I think I like the way he handles it because I think it's he always handles it in a way that like if you've read all his novels, it gives you a little something extra. Right. But if you haven't, you can totally enjoy the novel without any like you're not enjoying it any less for not having read other novels by him. Yeah. But you think it is like a very, very because I've seen I have seen like graphs and stuff and and, and like everything laid out and as like a, I don't know, a flow chart or something. Do you think that he, do you think people are reaching sometimes or do you think that he really is like, like really meticulously threading in? Well, I guarantee you because it's the internet that some people are reaching, (laughs) but uh, I also think there's, there's probably a lot there. Um, I'm not, I haven't gone through it all myself. I haven't read all of his novels. Like some people have to, you know what I mean? And maybe I'd feel a lot different about this after I, if I went through all of that and read all of those 58 novels. Um, so I, I guess I don't really know for sure enough to come down either way, but it's something I'm, I am intrigued about. And as we continue to cover Stephen King throughout the course of this podcast, I think it's something we should pay attention to. I think And maybe without doing a lot of research into it, what's already been discovered, but more like seeing what we can find on our own, just based off of what we've read. Okay. One more, since, since we are interested in doing this, because I I was wondering if it's like something we should delve into since we, since we are going to, uh, really quickly. Do you think any of the kids from from uh, it had the shining in any capacity? Whether it was it not necessarily as strong as Danny does. Do they shine on? Do you think any of them shine? Uh, yeah. You know, honestly, they might all have a little of it too, because you could you could argue that their ability to their connection to Pennywise and it um, could be facilitated through some of that. Like I think so too. Um, a lot of a lot of their ability to perceive him and interact with him and maybe even resist him at times, um, or it, I should say. Um, I think some of that, some of that could definitely be a similar power. Maybe called something different, different parts of the country, so forth. But yeah, <laughs> because it affects uh, certain people in town in certain ways, and yeah. for whatever reason, he doesn't seem to have the same power over the kids. So right. something there with the shine, maybe the turtle. Who knows? Well, let's connect it. We'll have a we'll have a full episode just just dedicated to connecting it when we finish all of his stuff. One day, I, I think it's I I do like the idea of of kind of just touching in with it throughout, and if we see something that makes us think of a of a potential connection to another project we've read by him, call it out. Let's do it. I think that's fun. I if if there's a turtle in this book, I'm gonna freak out. By the way, <laughs> you'd be watching for that turtle. That's I'm on sure. turtle watch. I'm on turtle and watch. Clowns. And clowns, and clowns and turtles. Uh, all right, so back to this novel, though. Um, we meet uh, Dick Halloran, and, uh, and the, the Torrances arrive at the hotel on closing day and are given a tour by the manager. And while that's happening, they meet Dick Halloran, the chef, who also possesses similar abilities to Danny's, and he helps explain to them uh, about the hotel and then uh, to Danny specifically about their special connection and what a shining and what The Shining is. 
so I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens there. First off, the tour through the hotel itself, I think it's cool to touch on because I think I, I love how now I've read the book and, and seen the movie so many, and so many times and stuff. I, I can recognize some of this, but there's a lot of things being set up in this initial tour. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, yeah. Almost everything is something. Everything they yeah. point out ends up being something. Uh, we, we, we hear there's a lot of talk about the hedge maze uh, and, the, and the topiary animals out right. there. Um, there's a moment where uh, Danny is freaked out by a fire extinguisher and maybe a fire hose, it sounds like. Well, I, I want to say here, like all, some a lot of the shines that we get from Danny up to this mm-hmm. point, we've already gotten tons of things set. Like we hear about a, a hive of some kind. We hear oh, yeah. about, or like a, what was a wasp or, yeah, or a beehive wasp. or one of so the two. So you're talking about that, that Danny has had either through conversations with Tony or through like dreams that he's had, right? Right. right. So oh, yeah. Already... Well, he has this one really strong premonition before they come of, of, of where he sees the hotel and he imagines uh, uh, some monster chase, chasing through the halls carrying a uh, like a like a bat or a mallet and saying uh, take your medicine right come and yep. take your medicine and uh, yeah so that's a pretty uh, interesting uh, premonition I, I, so part of this is I don't want to like because I know a lot of this stuff but like I'm, I'm curious to know like what your thoughts on some of this stuff is you can draw a one-to-one comparison for that like yeah that's, that's pretty obvious. that's the thing yeah like there's there's yeah. like there's and I feel like there's almost a lot a lot of that but it's definitely because so familiar with the movie even though it will end up different it would be a pretty unique experience um to read this novel not having seen the movie or know anything about the movie that's the other thing like even people who haven't seen or or read the book they still know because you i like you can't find people who don't know that jack nicholson is in a movie called the shining in which he chases around his family with an axe and bursts through a door and shit like yeah, says, here's Johnny. Like that's here's such Johnny. an iconic thing that I, I, I just can't imagine there are people who aren't aware of it. Yeah, and if you're not, and you, and you hear this, uh, forget all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the book is also different, so I think yeah. that's also worth keeping in mind. Um, right, and we'll, we'll discover the differences as we go through. So, uh, more th- there's one other shine that I wanted to talk about, and one more thing in the in these in one of these shines is uh, th- I feel like this is kind of important to talk about. Danny is five. He's, I mean, he's a sharp kid for being five, like very, very smart Precocious. for a five-year-old. And he's got, uh, I don't know, he already sees the world differently than everybody else because of his shines, I think. And he yeah. can't even read, yet he is able to perceive a lot of the, what things are saying anyway, like sign, road signs. Um, there's a word that always pops up when he looks at his parents. He can, he can literally know what they're thinking depending on yeah. how powerful their feelings are on it. So if there's like if there's love between them, he he can feel that. If there's if one of them is thinking of divorce, he actually sees the word in his mind, and he thinks divorce. He doesn't know what it means, but he sees it, yeah. And that's the scariest thing in the world to him is is divorce because he knows what it means even though he doesn't know like he knows that he's heard like his parents not being together, but he doesn't understand the concept of it. Yeah, he kind of so, intuitively knows what it means. And the the shine that I'm talking about is he sees his dad uh in the accident and then he and then when jack comes home uh danny had told wendy about it and she so she kind of because of that she we as the reader know that she knows what happened but she doesn't necessarily believe it herself but she well kind and of i like this too it. because it sets up that while jack and wendy don't necessarily believe their son's got tell you know telepathy 
they both are kind of open to it and they've seen enough from him to know that he's got something and that he's got some sort of intu- intuition or something, right? I think as a reader going in cold and you're getting this setup of this kid who has got this ultra perception, like you said, he can tell when his parents are feeling certain ways about each other. And then you're, you're putting him in a powder keg situation. Cabin fever has already been talked about. You know the father's abusive or got a history of abuse. I think there's just a lot being loaded in here. And then I also, so let's talk more about Halloran too. Um, oh, I mean, I love Halloran. I think you're supposed to love Halloran, right? Like For he's, sure. He's kind of, he's very likable. Yeah, he's a cool guy. Um, he's joking. He understands Danny. He immediately knows, he kind of suspects that Danny's in danger. I did like the moment where uh, they lampshade the fact that this little boy is going into the car with this older man yeah. by saying like the the mother was scared that her her son was being kidnapped, and but then she realized that he wasn't, so it was all fine. And do you, I think he I think he was willing to kidnap him in that moment. Yeah, um, because he asked him, "Are you sure you don't want to come with me to Florida?" He asked him multiple like, times, couple times. Yeah, yeah. And I'm one. I was. I wrote down. I was like, if she, if if Danny had said, "Yeah, I want to go with you to Florida," would he have kidnapped Danny? And I think he might have tried. That's a good question. I didn't think of that. He might have. Yeah, I I could totally see it. I do love that he has this test for him, where he said he's like, "I want to see how much of a of a shine you got." You know, uh, hit me with hit me with like a thought, <laughs> and then Danny just like it's described as throwing a fastball at him. Uh, with this thought. And then at the last minute, he like pulls back to, to where he's not even really like 100% power. And he still like blasts the guy. He's like got blood coming out of his mouth. He's like totally just like bewildered by it and has to like re- collect himself. And and I love that, that, that King just like, as silly as it is, it's still cool. And like I, I, you, like, I love the idea of Danny being this really powerful telepath. And it's interesting because the connection, because this is his third book, Telepathic children is a big thing for him, right? You look at Carrie, that's like her whole thing. Children, I don't know if there's a, the bo- a book by Stephen King, although I haven't read f- plenty of his books, but there's got to be a kid in every book, or at uh, least early. I, yeah, no, no, I, 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 I feel like I was, I was about to say, I guarantee you, he's written books where there are no children, but I don't know that I can say that because I haven't read enough of his books. But I, I can almost guarantee you. <laughs> I'm sure, but you know what I mean. I'm, like he no, likes no, to use kids thing, is yeah. a scary thing. In childhood, yeah. Yeah. I like that the fastball, the idea of it being so powerful, and then he's setting up the fact that even in Florida, you still might be able to shoot one of these at me. So just keep that in mind if you get into trouble. Right. Yeah, that was cool. And then so uh, there's also a line that then Danny keeps thinking of. And I love that King does this. He has a character. We see people do this in, in It as well later, which is a novel written after this. People kind of latch on to things. His characters latch on to things and then will repeat them to themselves for whatever reason. You know, whether it's it's Jack repeating the, the it creeps line. Um, but for this, it's Danny. And, and, and what happens is Halloran tells him that if you look at something, if you see something out of ordinary in the overlook, he says, look away and then look back and it'll be gone first off. And then he also says, I don't think they can hurt you. They're just they're just like echoes of things and stuff like that, right? And so he keeps thinking when he's doing this tour and seeing some creepy shit, he keeps thinking like they they can't hurt me, they can't hurt me. It becomes like a mantra, like a mantra that he's telling himself over and over again, right? And I like the the uh, setup of look away and then look back and it'll be gone, and then he looks away and looks back and it's worse. 
Yeah. Well, it's gone, and then he looks away and looks back, and then it's back, but worse. Yeah. Right. And he tells him to stay away from room room two seventeen. Stay away from room two seventeen. Um, and then just narratively, like you can see what he's setting up here, right? <laughs> like it's yeah. so good. Um, yep. And and I just want to know, like, were you able to be creeped out by this novel? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, I would say, like like you mentioned before, Tony is a huge part of the creepiness yeah. early, and then and then the hotel itself is is really creepy for sure. Yeah, I want to shout out. We had Emily Saveda on for our Jurassic Park episode three, I think, for the book. She in that episode said we talked about liminal spaces and how writers really like them. And her example, I, th- I think her example was like a like a, a subway, like an abandoned subway, something like that. And we, and we talked about it a little bit in that episode. And I thought of that immediately, and with The Shining, because that's exactly what this is, right? Yeah. This is a hotel. It's a nor- It's like a, a place we've all been, but it's in a situation that's unusual. You're alone there, and I love the way that at the end of part two, that's really driven home with their like as soon as they realize they're alone. They look out at this uh, lawn that has been like perfectly trimmed and kept, and there's leaves blowing across it, and they're the only ones there to like witness it. And it's like, who is it cropped for? Not us, and and not anybody. And and it feels so weird that they just kind of run inside to kind of hide from the like aloneness of being out there. Um, and yeah, that was just a great bit of writing and. And I love the idea of this empty hotel. It's this familiar place in an unfamiliar situation and how that it lends itself a, like a certain mystique that's just cool. One other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the way that, that The Shining is intersecting with my own life is, is really crazy because um, I told you that I was reading this in or listening to it in a creepy, not cre- it wasn't as much creepy as it was just like not great, but listening to a creepy book about a hotel um, and then but you didn't say how you arrived in a drunken stupor from your I did. night out of the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that I didn't actually tell you was that the next morning I woke up and uh, one of the producers on set was, I'm not joking, telling me about how he has premonitions. Like we had an extensive He's, conversation. He shines about on. This. Huh? He, I, he has the shine, man. Like I'm not joking. Okay. Uh, we had like a 30 minute conversation about it. And I didn't lean, I didn't tell him like, oh, I'm reading this and this is why I'm so interested in this. I just let it right. let it ride. And he was telling me about how his his wife does it too. And he, the reason this all came up was there was like something went missing. And he was like, you know, it's crazy. I had a dream about that. And I was like, oh, really? You dreamed that? That's really crazy. He's like, yeah, I have premonitions. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? And it's just really intersecting with my life a lot. So well, let's, like, let's get real for a moment here. Now I got to dig into this. Do right. you believe in premonitions as being a thing that's possible? No judgment either way. I'm just curious. I know. I, I honestly, um, when you say premonition, are you saying like like uh, you have a bad feeling about something, or like like he was saying like I knew that 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 specific thing was going to happen? Because I would say that uh, having a bad feeling about something and then something bad happening might be something that you uh, can. I don't know. Something well, that, that, might... that could be, I feel like a bad feeling could be explained away as like an unconscious mind picking up on some signals that are, that are maybe red flags that you don't think about cognitive, like, you know, cognitively. And um, so I, I guess that's, to me, that's a not supernatural version. I'm talking about, is there some sort of extrasensory sensory power okay. that some people possess that we maybe we don't understand and maybe is somehow built into, you know, your mind. 
But do you, do you think that that's a thing that that exists, or are you open to it? Like, how do so you for me, it? okay. Th- so I I think I know where I land on it. The thing that I was just mentioning, by the way, I do believe that that there are people who can have a bad feeling about something, and then something something happens, and maybe it is like you're saying, just minute details that you're picking up on. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I would I would say that I would like to believe that there's a such thing as premonitions, um, because I've never personally had one that was p- m- powerful enough for me to be like, oh yeah, wow, that's that's a thing. Um, I would say I don't really believe in them, but it's it's not because I'm against the idea of it. I think it would be cool if there were, if there was, but um, because I've ha- I haven't had any experience with it, I don't think that I could speak to it. But I feel like it's almost like the same thing as like something like religion, where it's like you can't you can't explain it, and it's like do you does that mean that it doesn't exist? Or, yeah. or the thing that you believe in is in there. So I don't know. W- what about you, man? Where do you? So I think I think I don't believe in it, but I would like to. What about you? Yeah. So my family has like a long history of this. Um, definitely on my mother's side. A lot, a lot of my family believes in this very strongly. Uh, my mother herself believed that she would have dreams um, that would be like either she would know something that she could, shouldn't have known, or she would speak to somebody who has passed on. Or she would predict things um, or have a dream that predicted them. Um, this is all stuff she, she definitely believed in. Um, personally, I don't know that I believe it. Um, I think there are a lot of there are a lot of ways you can explain these sorts of things. Um, for example, I was just recently watching a video about the phenomenon of deja vu and how it happens in our brains and how... Uh, a theory. Now, it's not proven, but there's a lot of theories about it. And one of them that I was hearing described is that our brains uh, activate a section of the brain where you are accessing long-term memory. But it's like a, it's like a malfunction in the brain. And it's not supposed to be doing that because you're experiencing something for the first time. You're not remembering. But what happens is you get convinced because of that misfiring that what you're seeing is something that you've experienced in the past. And then I think our minds come up with ways to explain that feeling by saying, oh, I dreamt about this. Um, So I think there are a lot of ways that could create these things. Now, that all being said, I fully admit that there are probably dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of situations where there are inexplicable things that happen. There are there are inexplicable things that people know that verifiably maybe knew something that they shouldn't have been able to know, uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, there's a lot of creepy stuff or interesting stuff, however you look at it, between twins and proof of them knowing about things that they shouldn't have known about the other one, right? Um, so I guess I, I guess I am more open to it than I am most supernatural phenomenon. In general, I'm a very strong skeptic. Um, and, uh, and, and tend to not believe most supernatural stuff, but I guess for this one thing, I, I guess I'm more open to it, but I'll, but still firmly in the camp of skeptical. Cool. So really quickly, <laughs> I, I want to mention you, you brought up deja vu. Uh, yeah. I have had, and I'm sure everyone has, but I've had very, very intense deja vu to where I, to the point where I'm like nearly having an out of body experience. Where it's yep. like I like it's it's crazy. Like I've had very intense deja vu, which is probably the weirdest phenomena that like physically can happen to us. It's it's crazy. It's very weird. So did you know there are people who live in constant states of deja vu? So they're li- so basically what you're telling me is they're living in the past 
actively. They believe they're living a life that they've already lived. And well, that but they can't they can't necessarily predict what's going to happen if you ask them to. But when you ask them to, they will say, "I knew you were going to say that." So there and it's because this this the way their brain is working, right? It makes everything that's happening to them feels like a memory of something that's already happened or they already mm-hmm. knew was going to happen. Um, and some of them know that it's a condition. Some of them believe that they just know things and and everything in their life. Now, some, what's crazy about this is, is like um, some of these people can't enjoy like television because everything they've seen feels like they've seen it before. And, and, and every, you know what I mean? Like you can imagine how debilitating it would be, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's crazy, but, but like the, but there, there are people like who have this condition. It's pretty, it's pretty rare, but, um, as far as I understand, there are a few people out there and they, and, they, and people are studying them, trying to figure it out what's, what's causing it. Um, but it's interesting. It's a weird phenomenon created by our brains in my opinion, but is there a possibility of something else going on? Maybe. I mean, Hey, we're in our shining episode. I'm willing to, uh, I'm willing to, uh, lean into it. It's, it's, it's Halloween, right? Right. Happy Halloween. I think you're, you're, uh, when, it was fun to listen to you talk about the the uh, premonition stuff and like I want to go from no to a skeptic as well. Um, <laughs> and for this episode, I'm going to say it does exist. <laughs> well, I knew you were going to say that. Uh, <laughs> so let's move on a little bit. Holy here. shit! Uh, whoa, 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 whoa! We've totally been here before. <laughs> so I I will full, fully admit some of the stuff that I got there was from a Good Mythical Morning episode about Deja Vu. Which nice. normally their their shows are not very educational, but this one actually was a little bit. Um, but it's combined with other stuff I've independently heard about, and and deja vu is something I've always found very interest, interesting. You know what's crazy so. is I have seen that video, and you just gave me deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can go check that out if you want. So one thing that that I immediately noted is that um, I also really liked how like sort of flirty uh, Jack and Wendy were being as they were touring the hotel and you can tell that they both are still optimistic here about this being a good thing for them. Right. And, yeah. and, and it also like they, there is some genuine, genuine love there, I think between the two of them, this isn't a wholly loveless marriage. And, and I don't know. I, my memory of the movie is that it isn't necessarily the same. You couldn't necessarily say the same about their relationship in them in the movie. Whereas here, I, I definitely got a strong sense of that. And and I think that creates a, a more dramatic setup for what is to follow. I also really like that Danny is is seeing this love. He's he he's like uh, no matter what, like he he doesn't understand some of the things that are going on, and he's smart enough to be like, it doesn't matter that I don't understand it. All that matters is that mom and dad love each other, and they're happy right now. I agree. I mean that it's and that sets up a tenderness that that we also then just feel so worried for for this little child, right? Mm-hmm. Like what he's going to go through. I think something um, about the book that I wanted to mention also is that I wasn't expecting quite as much from the viewpoint of Danny. Okay. Because I feel like in the in the I feel like we do definitely get a lot of Danny in the movie, but it's not quite as close to him, I feel like. It's more close sure. to Jack. And I think this Part is Part of that I think is well. the distance. I think there is a certain distance created by the medium, right? Like you can't get in someone's head like you can right. in the book. That's one of the that's one of the strengths of re- of reading it is that you truly can get all these people's like motivations and inner thoughts. Right. Something else that I was thinking uh during this re- read is that uh as a writer you have you can manipulate time 
so much more than you can as a filmmaker, I, I think. Because it's, you can have t- pages and pages and pages take place over a split second. Yeah. And as a, as a film, you could have that kind of effect going on, but the t- time is still going by for, for people yeah. who are watching it. Yeah, that's uh, something that uh, I, yeah, I like to think about, and I, I've brought this up in, in different workshops over the years, um, because I always remember a story called Bullet in the Brain, I believe by, by Tobias Wolff. Um, is, is is an example of this, and in in uh, I forget the official name for it, but it's like a it's like a it's like a dramatic time, or something like that, or manipulation of time, and uh, yeah, you can write a story that 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 takes place place over one page, and covers a thousand years, or you can write a story like Bullet in the Brain, which is a I don't know ten plus page story that is told. Um, Mostly uh, through the time in which it uh, a bullet fires from a gun, enters somebody's brain, and exit out the back exits out the back of it, and it's a ten page story that that is the amount of time that goes by. You know what I mean? Like the amount of narrative time that goes by. Right now, is that from the pers- pr- from the perspective of the person who's dying? Yes. As the bullet goes through their brain. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's a brilliant story. Check it out. Yeah, um, if you're curious about it, very very well done. Um, but yeah, I think it, there is a certain magic there, and I think a lot of writers uh, don't think about it. And and one of the things that uh, that uh, I think you're picking up on, and I did as well, is that King does this really well. Uh, he manipulates time like a master, and uh, he makes it look easy. We talked about that in our last episode, right? Right. About how really, really good people make things look really, really easy when they're doing something that's actually very difficult. And I think that's definitely true here. Um, King is doing stuff that has a high level of difficulty in, with his writing, um, but pulling it off very well. I did want to just another thing we, I like t- sometimes on this show to do <laughs> is point out like specific details that I think are just really cool. Because whenever I see them as a reader who is also a writer, I file them away. Not like I'm going to use that detail, but I want to use a detail like that. I love that he thought or th- whoever the writer is thought to include a detail like that. And I think that you can go, ooh, I want to try and do that. And for me, one that really jumped out was they're writing on their way to the hotel. And uh, I forget what is said. But something said about, like, well, I hope that this, you know, let's, 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 let's hope that this goes this way. And Wendy crosses her fingers. And then Danny looks down and sees that she also crosses her toes. Um, he can see through her sandal, like, because she's wearing sandals. Yeah. And, and it tells you something about Wendy, first off. And then it also is just such a, interesting true to life detail because you could see a person doing that mm-hmm. but the fact that king had the wherewithal and the like in the state of mind to say i'm going to put this detail into my book is just really cool like it, it inspires me to try and find details like that like unusual but true to life details that you can put in a book and, and just really to me that really brought that scene to life yeah i do think there's one other thing that is is interesting about the the mother-son relationship and that's that there's a there's a bit of jealousy from Wendy towards Jack because right, she's because jealous of his relationship with right Dan. because of how close they are she's jealous yeah. of that relationship I think that's also interesting for how the story ends up yeah I think having Danny be very close being being very close to Jack um, yeah it sets up just even more um, tragedy there right yeah we also uh, something that showed up early is is Red Rum oh yeah Red Rum. It's yeah. already come up. 
Yeah, he, he he's he's seeing that word over and over again in a vision, and he keeps yeah. thinking like, "I'll be on the lookout for red rum." What do you think um, that means? Which I think we shouldn't spoil that just I'm in case. Just yeah, let's not spoil it. Um, but yeah, that's it's an interesting thing. I mean, we know what that is from the movie. Um, but I wonder, I wonder if how I want to know. Like, I'd love to know a percentage of people who figured it out early on who read the book, and people who didn't figure it out until it's revealed. Right. What it is. Yeah, I would love to know that percentage because, like, I, I feel like it seems so obvious, but like, maybe it's not. I don't know. I suppose dude, if I read this in '77, I don't think I would have picked it up. Yeah, it's just okay. I, I don't know. I think people have done it since, for sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing now in pop culture. Mm. What do you think about the fact that that Jack finds this red rum and and uh, gives Danny some like rum at that early of an age, <laughs> like? Yeah, you shouldn't be drinking rum at his age. It's crazy. Well, and, and especially not red rum, because that, that would be gross. Yeah, we should um, stop, stop spoiling the end. <laughs> uh, I, w- I, I wanted to say, I, I, I mean, we've talked about it, but I want to fully come back around to the idea that like Stephen King and his work is such a huge part of pop culture. You know, foundationally, but then even just going through to today, because so much of his stuff is still being adapted. Um, but the, yeah, like the foundations of these kinds of stories of Carrie, of the shining and not just the horror of, or not just the horror genre, but really just throughout all of popular culture. It's it's such, he's so, he's so influential that this one guy could sort of build such a legacy from his work is, is really astounding. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like, uh, it's like Steven Spielberg, right? Like we talked about with his films and the, and the, and the legacy of his films and and cinema and the modern blockbuster and all that stuff. Right. I mean, I'm a film guy. So like, I'm definitely, I agree with you, but I, I almost feel like the impact that that King has had is more so than that. I mean, we're talking about like such a like prolific magnitude of content that has been so universally loved and, and, he he i'm sure he has some stuff that that's not quite as popular but so much of his stuff has been adapted and created some of like people's favorite films brian de palma's yeah. carrie you know like kubrick's the shining and yeah. it's just like it's not it's just like all of these filmmakers are like look at this content that i can just make a fantastic film out of have you seen maximum overdrive I have, yeah. Let's oh, let's talk about. <laughs> I was hoping, I was really hoping you were gonna say no because I was like, yeah. we should watch that and do like a live watch or something. I would love to, man. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. We should do but it. I'm gonna anyway. get a bunch of. I'm gonna be getting a bunch of Coke. I'm gonna do a ton of Coke, <laughs> and I'm gonna be like, Dude, this is Coca-Cola, such a good movie. Right? Yeah, <laughs> such a good movie. Yeah, the it's screen written by by Stephen King. We talked about this in my write-in. Um, it's it's on, more on, than on oh, it's it's more than screen written by him. He did he directed. He as directed well? that, yeah. Yeah, he wrote it, directed it. Apparently, oh, yeah. there was a trailer someone brought up at my write-in. Um, came out for the movie it was him in front of like a big rig, and he's like, "This summer, I'm gonna scare the crap out of you," or something like that. Um, <laughs> it's all this stuff about how scary it was gonna be. And if you just remember that movie, scary is not one of the things I would call it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Were you were you one of the actors? <laughs> was I one of the actors in the movie? Then yeah, <laughs> I need to see it again, man. That movie is so bad, and, well, and I would love to watch it. It is. It is like the epitome of a coked up. Like, like I, I mean, I don't know for sure that he was doing coke, but it seems pretty coked up to me. Oh no, I, I, he has said as much. Yeah, and and uh, it's it's a a drug fueled uh, romp. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> I mean, and that I mean, yes, he's 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 been all over the place with uh, some of his some of his material, and definitely, I haven't read enough Stephen King, but I know enough people who have who who could say that there are books of his that are not as good as others. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of a few of them. Now, whether it can be blamed on maybe his state of mind when he wrote them, uh, I think is arguable, but. Uh, yeah, I think you look at there's the the big ones uh, kind of tough to debate uh, th- their greatness, I would say. Yeah. So one thing I thought was cool uh, was a couple times, I think it's Wendy, keeps thinking about the Donner Party and how not too far from where they are currently, the Donner Party, party succumbed to cannibalism. And one of the reasons I thought that was cool is because I, I, I'm a listener of uh, the last podcast on the left. And I don't know if, you, if you've listened to their more recent stuff or not or if you check them out, but... Uh, they did a, they did t- I think two episodes on the Donner Party. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty recently, and it was really interesting. You know, cool uh, bit of history to learn about, and I love the connection there. Like, it's like when things have like a weird symmetry connected, you know, connectivity. Like you talked about being in a hotel, just the fact that I had just learned all this stuff about the Donner Party, and then here they are talked about in The Shining. I uh, thought it was cool. That is cool. Yeah, I I like that podcast a lot. Um, I haven't listened to enough of their stuff, and I haven't listened for it's been a little while, but. I'll have to check that one out, especially because it was mentioned in this book. And then I can just keep making intersections. Yeah. And Well, and the Donner Party is just really fascinating, like historical event. And it's not normally the kind of stuff. They normally do like serial killers and stuff, but this was a different sort of thing. And I thought it was actually really fun. I have something else to point out. And that's that when when Danny has these fits, he kind of, uh, if it's like, a, if he's thinking very hard about it, he almost like loses control and, yeah, and like blacks he out. Yeah, like has a... Yeah, almost like he like goes into a trance or maybe has a seizure. Yeah, like yeah, he he's definitely like physically affected. Do you by think it. that that's some sort of like like losing control of his body is representing the fact that he's like losing control of Tony and like maybe Tony's trying to take over, or do you think it's just associated mm-hmm. with what the power does to him? Like it takes that much out of him if he goes too far. I do like that. Um, we talk about in fantasy writing a lot that uh, magic should have costs. And I like the idea that his his uh, ability has a sort of physical cost. And you know what I mean? Like the, the more strongly he focuses on it, the less control he has over his body. And like that could leave him vulnerable, right? Yeah. So, so I think it can just also, just narratively, it could be a balancing for that power. That's what I was going to say is like, I like that because it is, if you, if you make your characters God, then what are you even yeah. worried about as the reader? If your characters right. can do anything. So I like the idea of having that cost because it's like adding stakes to it. And I think that that's a more interesting thing for Danny as well, because it's like, if anything goes down, he could just like shine everything that his dad was going to do or everything that his mom was going to do and just predict everything. Um, which... I Now, do you think he could mind blast somebody who doesn't have the shining? Because I, I don't think he can. To me, it was just I think Halloran is particularly um, sensitive to. I it, think so too. And that's yeah. why it hit him so. Well, hard. he's also the other thing to note about that is that I think it's something that you can, from what I from what I was getting, it's something that you can develop over time. So like this guy's a sixty year old man who's been able who's been shining for a while, and his grandmother had it as well, um, and she must have taught him some of the ways. So he's like a particularly strong-ish user, and then he still thinks Danny's like by far the strongest shiner he's ever met. Oh, I do like how he says that just because you you see something doesn't mean it's necessarily going to happen. It doesn't always come true. Um, I, I I like that because I think it gives it gives you that sense of hope 
you know, as a reader. Yeah. You can go like, oh, maybe he can, he can, maybe there's something can be done to avoid this, right? And I think that sense of hope can be, can be kind of important, I think. And now I'm going to be looking out for that, for that shine that doesn't come true in this, in this book. I'm going to be waiting for right. that one. And then I'm definitely going to, I'll definitely report back on the podcast. Yeah. And, and we're going to be looking for uh, the things he sees to not be able to hurt him, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing is that Halloran, uh, confirms that that Jack and Wendy don't have the shine he thinks but when he looks at Jack there's something weird that he hasn't really seen before. Yeah, I like that too cuz it's kind of creepy, right? Like what like what is it? What is it he's seeing? This, this it's weird like it, thing hidden. It's hidden away, right? Right. And it's like not darkness, but it's also like not looking great. <laughs> yeah. I definitely want to know if that's, you know, like is that going to be specifically mentioned again? Right. Uh, is that like I an anti-shine? Is that like like some sort of like, not that the shine is like a good power, but a good yeah. thing, but is it like some sort of, cause it's, it's like, like a pro, it sounds like a product for your windshield, you know, your windshield. <laughs> anti-shine. Put a little anti-shine on there. <laughs> I put it on my sunglasses before I go out in the sun. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. I think, I think that's about all I have for this first part here. It's a lot of just kind of setting the stage. I'm very excited for, for part two when we get into the meat of it. Definitely. Yeah. I'm really excited to, to get some more. Well, I, so I do have an exciting uh, upcoming thing going on this week that I that I really want to share with our listeners. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna save it for the very end. I mean, I just want to say if there's a stinger to stick around for, it's this one. It's pretty massive. So <laughs> I'm excited for cool. you to talk to, to talk about this. So before that, we just wanted to uh, thank our patrons again for for helping keeping this thing going. And specifically, we wanted to to give a shout out to uh, let's do uh, Caitlin. It's been a while since we've we've shouted her out and uh, thank her for being a supporter. Yeah, thank you, Caitlin. We appreciate your support. Absolutely. If you wanted to connect with us, we are on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those at Ink to Film. And anything you see, I think this is a fun way fun way of putting it. But anything you see that's either ink or film re- related, you can go ahead and just send <laughs> our way. And uh, oh yeah, and speaking of that, we just opened up our Facebook group, uh, the Council of Inklings. Uh, we've opened it up public now. It used to be a patron-only thing, uh, but we decided to, you know, to correspond with us lowering the price um, to get the bonus content. We did want to open up that to be a public group. So if you'd like to join that, just join. I mean, all you, you just got to be a listener to the podcast, and you're you're welcome to join. So it costs nothing, and uh, we like to put polls up in there about future projects, about ideas we have for the show, and we'd love to have you come in and, and interact with us in that way. Also, if you wanted to support the podcast in another way, you could leave a rating or review uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, we're 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 looking pretty good as far as the yeah, we're getting real close to fifty. I think we're at like forty seven as of the day of recording this. Yeah, just real close. Help help us get to fifty. Yeah. Almost there. <laughs> uh, so Almost. yeah, you can leave those wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, but specifically iTunes. That's where we want to get to. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, if you wanted to send us an uh, email, you can always send one to uh, our our uh, Gmail address, which is inktofilm at gmail.com. Also, we want to thank Russ Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. So my announcement, uh, you know about this, but I'm very excited. I got invited to give a presentation about American Psycho at OMSI, which is the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry here in Portland. Um, it's going to be prior to a screening of the film on October 10th. So if you hear this and you're in the Portland area and you can make it out, please come out and, and see it. I'm, I'm, I know 
it's something that I didn't know I was going to do um, until very recently. Um, so I am uh, kind of scrambling this this week to put the thing together. But um, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a great opportunity for me to get up in front of people and show them what we I have to bring to the table for these kind of discussions. I'm going to definitely be talking about the podcast because um, that's how I was able to get this opportunity. So, yeah, I'm nervous, but also very excited. I'm stoked for you, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, and I don't know if I told you or not, but basically it's um, like an IMAX size screen and it's like a theater and it can seat upwards of 300 people. Now, I was told to expect between one and 150 people to actually be there, uh, but we'll see. Um, so it's it's like not a small thing. It's actually pretty big. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And I can't it's gonna believe- It's be the biggest group I've ever spoken in front of before. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And I can't believe they're paying you like half a million for, for such yeah, a short- Yeah, half a million dollars. You would have thought that I would have more notice if they were going to pay me that insane yeah. amount of money. Um, <laughs> uh, no, that's not that's not happening. But uh, I, I, I'm very excited about it regardless. Um, it's it's a great opportunity for me to 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 get the get the word out about the show. So so uh, yeah, if you but if you're if you like American Psycho at all or you're curious about it, I think this is going to be a fun way to experience it for the first time or to see it again. Um, and I have a lot of stuff I want to say about it. I've done a lot more research since we finished our coverage of that, and I think I understand it even more now than I did when we covered it. So I I I, I I'm I'm treating this as like a way to kind of cap off uh, that coverage. So uh, yeah, I definitely all the listeners of Ink to Film should should come out. It, it should be fun. oh, it's at six thirty p.m. Uh, Pacific time. All right, man. I think that's it. So uh, and until next time, thanks for listening. Uh-huh.